Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, <laughs> thinking that you're just going to love her latest selection? And inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they suggested. That's us. Oh, yeah. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read, I listen, but we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds and invite magic and mystery into our lives because science fiction and fantasy rule. And I like good books. Oh, ha, ha, ha. All grounded in reality. Mm -hmm. You can keep all that space nonsense. Okay. Welcome to our podcast, You're Making Me Read What? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. Even if a book isn't entirely your style, it may have some redeeming qualities to it, right? I guess we'll see. And this month was my pick, mm. and we read... Or listened to mm. The Maze at Windermere by Gregory Blake Smith, who sounds like he should be British, but I believe he's American. You know, oddly enough, we do have a little bit of a mind melt that happens every once in a while because <laughs> when I when I first picked this up yesterday right. to read it, mm -hmm. yesterday afternoon to sure. read it, yes, um, the three-name thing, mm -hmm. it's either um, uh, people who have uh, assassinated presidents uh -huh. or British people. Which I feel like I might be, you know, like muddying the waters a little bit there, but okay. I, th I thought he was going to be British. Cause yeah. Because we, we have a lot of Brits on this we podcast. We do. We are a little bit stuck in that rut. Not not this month. Well, correct. He's he's still a, a white guy. That's that <laughs> so is accurate. Stuck, that sort is of accurate. in that rut. Um, but I was not able to find a whole lot of biographical information about him. He's, yeah. a, he's currently writing, um, contemporary author. And he's an English professor at Carleton College. Yeah. And he has maybe five other novels. So I also, you know, we can't help ourselves. We sure. do a little bit of research before this. And I poked around and didn't find a lot about him either. So he's not like a, a globe-trotting, mm -hmm. uh, fame-seeking author that's out there really doing a ton of like, interviews or right. things like that. But one of the things I did do was pull up a list of his other books mm -hmm. just to kind of see if they're in the same vein. Because this is his latest Book, right. I think. Published in 2018. Yes. And some of his other books, the, the synopsis were a little weird. <laughs> like there was one, and it was uh, some book about Vegas. It's uh, mm -hmm. Madonna's in Vegas, or there is a Madonna in Vegas. And um, the main character's name is Cosmo, which immediately I was like, <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's, um, He's doing some fresco work on uh -huh. one of the hotels there, and he gets caught up with a mob, and these two women are both trying to seduce him, and As they his do. name is Cosmo, sure. and just the whole thing <laughs> was a little aggrandized. Now, wait a second. You're the one that likes science fiction and fantasy. You should sure. totally big be digging on that. Sure, but one of the sentences in the, the overview of the book said, um, Cosmo explored the cosmos, and I was like, nope, out, don't want to play anymore. <laughs> There's too much. <laughs> well, before we get into this book, I think we'll do our little spoiler alert. Yep. Now's the time for us to warn you that we're going to talk about the whole book, including any crazy endings or twists. Mm -hmm. If you haven't yet read the book and you don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us again after you've read it or decided that you're just not gonna. Mm. But I think it's a good one to read. Mm. And I'm looking... Mm, there's... <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. So let me just set up. I'm going to do a very, very, very brief. Did you see how few notes how, I have? How can you do a brief setup for this? Because there's so much to talk about. Oh, okay, um, fine. I have, usually have like a page, page and a half of notes, which you do. Yeah. I have like a paragraph for this. Um, I don't, and so, okay, we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> so it's five stories that um, kind of center around a house in Providence, Rhode Island. Sorry, Newport, Newport. Rhode Island. Yes. Um, and it, the house is called Windermere, mm-hmm. and it has um, a boxwood maze in the back that is planted multiple times <laughs> because it goes into disrepair and, you know, people got die. got burned down and, at one point. Yeah, stuff yeah. happens. So that aspect was sort of interesting to mm-hmm. me just by itself. Um but the five stories are, um, and I'm going to say this not in the order of the book, but in uh, chronological order of when they would have occurred in real life. Okay. A recently orphaned Quaker girl who has to take care of her baby sister, and her, her name is Prudent Selwyn. But she gets called, she calls herself Prudy. Prudy. Which she thought was adorable. Yes, it is adorable. <laughs> um, and then there is the aristocratic major in the King's Army during colonial times, and I think it's a year or two after the... Um, Revolution, mm-hmm. so in independence, <clears throat> excuse me, has been declared, but yes. there's still a British presence, and that is Major Ballard. And then we listen to Henry James Jr., who I didn't realize was a junior. I learned a little bit and more about senior and junior. Yeah, Henry James, yeah, um, the author, uh, and his time period is obviously during his lifetime, which is during the American Civil War. Mm-hmm. And then we have a dandy from the we do. Gilded Age, and his name is Franklin Drexel. Of the Baltimore Drexels. Because we know that and would be able to distinguish between the Baltimore Drexels and all the other ones that along the eastern seaboard. And then there's one modern times dude, and he is a tennis pro um, who at one time was ranked 39th in the world. So mm-hmm. only 38 other people could beat him in tennis. He was kind of a badass, but then he never went any further than that. And he just kind of Kind of upset about it. Yes. yes. In, a, in a mild way, but... Yeah, he does an enduring way. Yes, yes. It, it is something that nags at him, yes. and he can remember every set against every. Like, I did like this where Smith would say, somebody would mention Agassiz, and he'd say six two six two. So he just he remembered every set of every mm-hmm. uh, match he ever played against anybody, um, and his name is Sandy Allison. So, which, which by the way, screams that you play tennis and live in a country club. Oh, absolutely. Yes. yes. So that was for that sure. was a, a well-placed name. I liked that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so my qualifier on this is that um, I thought we were recording this part- podcast a day later tomorrow. <laughs> and so I read this at uber super speed, even for me. Because um, usually, you know, I take you know, like a day or a day and a half and kind of... Or four hours. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. I plow through it. But this time I knew I had a, a relatively limited block of time. So I am positive that I, I skimmed some of the areas. Sure. Particularly in storylines that I did not like as much. <laughs> so I have more feedback in some areas than other. And, you know, it's better to be honest about this. Absolutely. I don't want you to be like... Oh, Jessica, do you remember the plot line where the robots invade? And I'm like, yeah, I remember that plot line. Those robots were crazy. Note to self, totally do that later. (laughs) So so I read the print book. Mm -hmm. And I did not know going into this, or I had not paid enough attention when I read the little insert. I didn't recognize right off the bat that it was going to have that many storylines. Yes, it is very confusing at the beginning. Yeah, so when you start... You start off with the storyline from Sandy, the tennis player in current times, and you get maybe, I don't know, 
15 or 20 pages of that storyline. Okay. And so you're kind of into it, and you're like, oh, tennis, and he's got a couple different lady loves, and he's kind of upset with his place in life. And then the chapter changes, and then you have um, Franklin, the mm-hmm. um, the Drexel. Yeah, so he's a like a middle-aged or uh, he's in his late 30s, somewhere mm-hmm. in that, and he's a closeted gay man mm-hmm. in the late 1800s. He absolutely is not willing to come out because that's right. not what you do at that moment in time. And so he's trying to figure out um, if he should get married because he knows that his looks are fading and that's kind of what he's relying on. So, okay, then you get kind of enmeshed in that story. And then it changes again. Right. And so it does that pretty repeatedly. Right. So the first quarter of the book, you're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what timeline (laughs) I'm in. But by the time you get to the middle, it makes more sense because you've kind of picked up on the the tenor of the characters and the tone of the storyline and you know what's happening. Yes. But then at the end of the book, they threw me all for a loop again because um, it's divided into three different sections. Mm -hmm. So section one, I was, oh, I don't know what's happening. Section two, oh, I kind of get what's happening. And then (laughs) section three, instead of having, you know, 10 or 15 pages for each section where you can really dive into it, it's like a paragraph. Yeah, they're really short clips. Yeah. And... They're all in the same sequence, so it's reverse chronological order. It's um, the stuff that's closest to now, and then Mm -hmm. it's the 1890s, and then it's the 1850s, and then it's the 1780s, and then it's the 1690s. So you always know the pattern it's going in. Okay, see, I never picked up on that. Oh, yeah. Dumb me. Thanks for telling me. That's you're, helpful. You're welcome. <laughs> you have told me a couple of times that your iPod accidentally shuffles chapters. So that's true. You can just blame it on that if you need to. <laughs> or my dumbness. But the <laughs> don't no yeah. So the the pattern you kind of get into it but at the end of the book the the pieces are so short Mm -hmm. that when i was reading it i was trying to connect to both the storyline that was being provided and how those pieces were supposed to play in together because they must have made sense together because he made them so short got it um so it was it was way too much thinking for 9 30 p.m for me got it um and i think that if i had um, spread out my reading a little bit more i i would have enjoyed it better right um so this was probably bad on me a little bit on sure the condensed time frame and definitely there were some storylines that i was more connected to than others Mm -hmm. so um i really liked the quaker storyline did you i did so i mean she she lured me in at the start her name is prudy which is just sweet um so she's uh, a young girl she's 15 Mm -hmm. Uh, her mother has just passed away. Her father sailed off to do something, and I don't remember what it was. He's like a merchant. Sure. And it hasn't come back. Right. So she's home alone with a toddler, mm-hmm. her sibling, and um, a young woman servant slave that they have right. here. She's just trying to figure out what to do. Right. Um, she's trying to be strong in her faith, but mm-hmm. her faith is telling her that maybe she probably shouldn't keep a slave. <laughs> <laughs> but she really can't survive right. without the help. Um, she's got a neighbor woman who's also a recent uh, widow who's apparently trying to seduce her at mm-hmm. some point in time. Um, she's got a man her father's age that's trying to get her to marry him, but mm-hmm. they don't ever talk directly. They just right, like that was send weird. go-betweens. Right. I don't know if that's a Quaker thing or a Quaker in the 1690s things. Right. But at the end, um, I just, I love the end of her story. Yeah. Um, it had a very kind of like, you're going to hate this, a very kind of Star Wars Darth Vader yeah, theme to totally it. totally hate it. No, no. So <laughs> at the end of the storyline, she decides that she doesn't know if her father's coming back. Right. And she needs to kind of take control of her own thoughts and feelings and destiny. And she's going to act as her own parents. Yep. So she goes up to the parent of a boy that she likes and she says, I am acting on my own behalf. I would like to marry your son. But she says, 
pretend I'm your I'm my oh. father here. Don't like negotiate as as you would yes. with my father. Luke, <laughs> I am your father. <laughs> I couldn't every every time I flip back to that page, that's exactly where I went on that. So I I know that that's not really your bag, but it was that was a good moment for you. That's and funny. That's not the only reason I liked her storyline, but it was but it really helped. It was a clincher. It worked sure, out well for me. Sure. What storyline was your favorite? You know, I liked most of them. Mm. Um, I liked, I liked how he wove um, true historical people, um, like um, Alva Vanderbilt Belmont. Yep, plays a not significant, but she uh, she's there. Yeah, she's yeah. she does some stuff. Um, and my favorite part about um, her is what he refers to multiple times as her pugilistic face. Yeah, like she's been beaten about the nose and had her face broken up a couple yeah, times. He's yeah. Pretty, pretty blunt about that. Um, yeah. So I liked learning again, you know, this I sound like a broken record, my gig of liking to learn about history through uh, fiction. Yeah. So um and then I did go back and really on a very high level check to see how much of it was accurate and how much uh license was taken because, mm-hmm. you know, sure. just out of curiosity. Um but I thought he did a really nice job of what I would imagine uh, getting the language from each time period. Sure. Um, I felt like – now, I listened, so I had the advantage of hearing a different voice. Mm-hmm. So I could immediately know that the – Oh, that's you know, helpful. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I think you would be able to tell pretty quickly from the language change, too, because the style is so dramatically different. Um, the way that yeah. Henry James writes is – yeah. He he just has a, a very distinct style and he's questioning himself all the time and he's this like always looking inward gazing, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure himself out um, and very um, unsure of himself. Yeah, I I liked his storyline as well. You know, he's um he's a young man who's trying to figure out. His father wants him to go to law school. Right. He does not want to go to law school. Mm-hmm. He wants to be a writer. Right. And so he's trying to consume the world. Right. He's watching and not really participating unless people engage him. And that leads to some conflict in this sure. book because people make assumptions about his interests right. because he's paying such close attention to them. And I actually wrote down a quote from one of his – so he's – his section of the book is both the the dialogue and the interplay and the actual chapter work – and then there's his journal entries. Mm-hmm. And this is one of his journal entries about a lady named Miss Taylor, mm-hmm. who he watches very closely and is the apparent basis for the actual book, uh, Daisy Miller, that he writes. Right. So he says, and yet I do very much want to be in Miss Taylor's company, to surround myself with her rich femininity, with her beauty and grace and wit. But in the privacy of this notebook, I will confide that the desire grows not from these other natural wants, but rather out of a desire to watch her, to observe her, to make of her a presence in my conscience that I may later call on and know her and use her. Because he's just, people are there, Yep. but they're there for his creative fodder. Right. Um, so that was kind of an interesting one. I did not like the storyline with the British um the soldier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so because you listened uh-huh. and because I read, you did not get to see something that would have just driven you up the wall. I'm ready. Uh, and I, I actually have a physical copy of the book here later right. so you can look at it and go, wow, that's a lot. So <laughs> like you were saying earlier, when you listened, you could hear the differences in tone and voice. Right. And there's definitely different, you know, 
voices in the writing as well. But in the section about the British uh, officer, uh, like, I don't know, every third or every fourth word is capitalized. Ew. So when it says things like, I'm going to the munitions depot today. <laughs> um, and it's it's usually like, not proper nouns, but it's usually nouns that are capitalized. <laughs> all of them. All of them are capitalized. Yeah, that's wrong. It was a difficult one. And <laughs> one of the sections in here as well, and it may have been that one, didn't use quotation marks when they had mm. um, um, sentences, dialogues yeah. from back and back. So you know how I feel about that. Like we have these conventions to make reading know, easier on the I know, reader. I so I I get that that authors want to be creative, but you know, yeah, that's tough. That makes it harder on your audience. Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't I didn't love it. I thought you would be more annoyed than oh, I was. I'm o- I'm annoyed on your behalf. Thank you. You're welcome. It's very kind. <laughs> but the real reason I I think I didn't connect to that storyline was um he was just not nice. Oh no. And he wasn't meant to be and I get right. that. But his whole deal was um he was an officer, he was still in America, and the town that they were in Newport um had this really prominent family, the De Silvas, mm-hmm. and it was a Portuguese Jewish family. And he uh, kept likening this kind of interplay he had with his family to a chess game mm-hmm. that he – and actually they played actual chess apparently at right. points as well, but the grand chess game. And so he wanted to um, seduce the like 15 or 16-year-old daughter of this merchant because he didn't like this Jewish man. Right. And all of his moves were towards that end. And he got caught up in his own game, mm-hmm. and you can't really tell if he actually lusts after this young lady. The person he only calls the Jewess. Yes. It's just, it was a very, um, it, it just it felt different than yeah. the rest of them. The others, so many of these storylines are about passion mm-hmm. and about connection mm-hmm. and about kind of human desires mm-hmm. that I get that this was just one facet that they was, that the author was trying to hone in on. Like, right. the first one is about Actual passion, passion right. for your career if you're not moving forward, passion for different people. Um, but this one was just not my favorite. Yeah. Well, yeah. I definitely, I don't, I agree 100% <laughs> that that it was not supposed to be sympathetic. Yeah. He is not supposed to be sympathetic. No. I thought the whole book was a compilation of the tension between using people and loving people and kind of okay. like, where are you on that spectrum? Like those two things are opposed to each other and it's a push and pull. Um, And so, like, I love the fact that in the tennis player story, he really does fall for Alice. Yes. Um, There, by the way, lots of Alice's in this book. Well, Alice Overload. I think that was kind of part of their process, that they were trying to make connections through time. Right. Using um, the same name. Yeah, using the same names and going to the same places, but with different overlays from time on them. Yes. So... He does fall in love with Alice, mm-hmm. who has a lot of struggles, mm-hmm. physical and mental um, and emotional, and yet she is charming and smart and um, appealing, and there's a, she's got tons to recommend her. So to me, it was very believable yes. that he would start off with the sort of um, shallow view of her that he does, and then he, once he figured out who she was, that he would be enchanted by her. Yeah. Um, and so, but at the end, you don't know what the ending is if she decides to forgive him because he's, you know, and, and the other thing is each of these characters is kind of terrible in a way 
whether or not they admit it to themselves. Yeah. Like, I don't think Sandy thought he was a bad guy. He, he was no. always trying to be the Southern gentleman, but that was, like you said, like an overlay. Uh-huh. So his real, you know, he knows himself, but he's not as introspective as Henry James is. So I thought that that's a very lovely, it's like you're a plant in the audience. I'm ready with your response. <laughs> um, so you're right. Sandy, the tennis player in the modern day timeline, at the very beginning of the book, um, he keeps saying he, he really wants people to like him. He's a mm-hmm. Southern gentleman, and he doesn't like that he's sleeping with a married woman because right. that doesn't really fit in with the um, archetype that he's developed for himself. Right. And he doesn't want people to think he's a bad person. Right. But he doesn't stop. <laughs> exactly. Yes. He doesn't change his behavior. No, he just he wants people <laughs> to think he's a good guy, right. even if he's acting in ways that don't imply that he's a good guy. Right. Um, I don't I don't know if um, if this was a, a major point for you as well, but I thought it was really kind of intriguing. When you got to the end of the book, um, we've got five storylines to wrap up, mm-hmm. and four of them are left open-ended, mm-hmm. and one of them is definitive. Right. So when you get to the end with um, with the tennis player, you don't know whether or not he's going to be right. able to woo back Alice. When you're with Franklin, our, our, our closeted um, gay man, um, you don't know whether or not right. he's going to just leave and try and start a new life or if he's going to try and salvage what he has here. Right. With the... Um, uh, the Well, Henry James, you kind of... Kind of. Kind of figure out yeah. that he has decided that he's not going to pursue the kind of life that most people pursue, yeah. but it, but still open-ended. But he leaves it open because he ends with a letter right. to Miss Taylor right. where he's describing what he hopes her life will be like. Right. And then with the and he doesn't send it. No, he does not. Yes. And with the the war officer, the last sentence he says is that he's stepping off the chessboard. Right. But you don't know what that means. Right. And then the very last chapter for the very <laughs> last story with the Quaker girl is her meeting up with um, her her young man mm-hmm. that she tried to negotiate marriage through <laughs> his father for, and they decide that they're going to do this thing, and that she she feels the lightness of her faith come through her. Right. So at the end, even though he's left all of these other storylines open, he wraps up the last one. I right. thought that was just kind of an interesting way to, to bring it all together. Yeah, yeah. And I, it, the women in the book have very interesting characteristics, mm-hmm. like um, Prudy just finds this incredible inner strength yes. and just decides, well, if no one's going to be my champion, I guess it's me. And she just picks herself up yep. by her bootstraps and she figures out what she thinks needs to be done, whether or not it's the right course, you yeah. know, you're, we're left to decide. But um, she has an incredible inner strength. And it's really charming the way that he writes about this um, interaction between her little guy and her at the yes. end of the pier. And he's like, whoa, you kind of knocked my socks off and and they're both 15 and it's the 1690s and they're Quakers and so so their language that they're using is like oh thou hast besmirched my love there was no socks involved I was I was definitely um (laughs) temporary patents right just to make sure you didn't get mud on your feet (laughs) um I I loved this as well there were there's some really uh sweet descriptions in there so franklin the the dandy when he's talking about himself he calls himself a cheerful brown-eyed wet-nosed tail-wagging lamppost peeing lapdog who when you weren't looking might take a bite out of your hide which was super (laughs) scripted accurate and the henry james character when he was um uh, writing to himself about miss taylor 
he he found that she had more depth than he thought, right. and he said, "I must not smutch her with melodrama, but reserve for her some fine tragedy." I don't know what a smutch is, but I'm going to have to find out now. Exactly. <laughs> well, one of the things that was interesting, you alluded to this um, when when I listened to this book the first time, my MP3 player shuffled <laughs> the files, so not only were things jumping around, they were not jumping in the correct order. So I was like, wait, I think I missed a lot. So I had to go back and re-listen to it. So then in preparation for the podcast, I listened to it again, only in the correct order. So it made a lot more sense this time. I'm happy for you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And um, one of the things, listening to it the second time, I was paying more attention to Isha um, oh, yeah. Sandy's um, second love interest, shall yes. we say. And boy, when you know what's coming, yeah. she has laid, she has set the trap beautifully and it snuck up on me the first time. And so I found myself puzzling over it more the first time. And the second time I was like, oh, wow, yeah. she really set this whole thing up. So that was very interesting. And I think the duplicity mm-hmm. and the nastiness with this very sweet, you know, outward mm-hmm. appearance. She appears to be harmless and just doing her thing. Yep. And um, it, I, I like that tension. I th- thought he did that very successfully. I agree. Yeah. And we won't we won't tell you what the uh, what the duplicity is. You'll have to read the book. We'll leave a little bit of mystery. Hmm. Wow. We never do that. I know. That's I weird. know. But there are so many storylines. That's true. Here we can leave one tiny portion. <laughs> Well, overall, not an awful read. Certainly not anything I would have picked up on my own. But it was was fine. It was an interesting read. I wish I had given myself a little bit more time to absorb, particularly the end with the close transitions. But it it was interesting. And I think the more I think about the end, I think he did that to kind of show some urgency. You know, like it. it's sort of leisurely. The pace is leisurely at the beginning. And then you just get like... A little more tense and it's it's all compressed at the end which in itself is an odd point because we're looking at this across 400 years exactly right. so where is the <laughs> tension you compress? yeah he's yeah. creating tension for right. us there yeah and i am totally going to build a boxwood maze in my backyard because i think I that's awesome would love to see that in a hundred years because boxwoods grow very slowly you may want to make it out of plywood first like mm. a practice one, just to, to like align your maze, make sure it's uh, and got I, a... I will send my neighbors to you when they complain about the gross plywood maze in my backyard. Mm. <laughs> so um, I live in Newport, Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what are we doing next? I think I have chosen a book that you actually may enjoy. <gasps> I know, I know. I don't know how I keep doing this. So this book I read not that long ago, actually, on the recommendation of a colleague. Mm-hmm. It's called The... <clears throat> excuse me, The Ginny and the Golem. Uh, it's by uh, Helene Wecker. And I, I may be saying it wrong. So the the way it's written is the Ginny, J-I-N-N-I. Okay. But it's like a genie, like a genie in a bottle. Right. Yeah. So it's The Ginny and the Golem. And it's a lovely combination of fantasy because it's these fantastical creatures. It's a, a golem, a person made out of clay, and a genie, which is a creature of fire and air. Um but also with historical fiction. So okay. it's set in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. and it's about these two people, creatures, um, in New York City mm-hmm. who have been brought there, in some cases against their will and in some cases unknowingly, and how they try and acclimate to society in New York in the late 1800s. Hmm. Okay. It's um, really exceptionally interesting and well-written and um, kind of fascinating. 
And I think I'll be the judge of that. I, I think you actually like <laughs> with with the the memoirs of Cleopatra. I thought you'd like it because it's it's straight historical fiction. Sure. With this one, there's just enough little magic and mystery weaving through here that this right. this might be the hook that I've been looking for. Huh? I know. I, I will let you know. I look forward to that. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us on You're Making Me Read What. Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So join us next month when we will be discussing The Genie and the Golem by Helene Wecker. Thank you and keep on reading.